0: Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Head of Human Performance at Ineos Team UK, Ben Williams. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast so really excited to get ben williams on the podcast for a really good chat so ben is head of human performance at ineos team uk and ineos team uk are the british representative in the america's cup so something that i've not had any experience of personally is uh is sailing and certainly no one has been on the podcast to discuss um to discuss that sport so it was great to get ben on uh met ben at a conference in the university of south wales had a good chat uh, lined it up to get him on the podcast and get a really unique perspective on a, on a very unique sport and a very unique competition so anyone that doesn't know anything about uh, the america's cup uh, same i didn't i knew nothing about it until uh, until chatting to ben so it was great to get him on learn a little bit about sailing and about the america's cup and the kind of demands that he's under as a head of performance in a uh, in that sport, and in in particular, in the uh, in the America's Cup competition. So I'm sure you'll get loads out of it from a slightly different angle, and just learn about the sport, learn about the, like I said the demands on Ben. Um, but I'm sure whatever your uh, whatever, whatever position you're in,
1: you'll take something away from this episode. As a brand, um, we need to be. Cautious of our brand, and we need to be protective of it. And I think the more that I've learned and understand um, about brand awareness, um, the more I appreciate it. And I think that um, being commercially aware is something that all practitioners in a in a commercial sport are going to have to do eventually. Um, and I think the sooner that you embrace it, the better. Um, so for me, I use it as a as a, a buying mechanism.
0: But just before we do get into this episode, I want to say a big thanks to Vald Performance for sponsoring this episode today. So if you haven't heard of Vald Performance, they are the guys behind the Nordboard, the Groin Bar, and the all-new human track. So if you haven't heard of either of them three products, visit valdperformance.com uh, or follow them on Twitter at ValdPerformance. So their all-new Human Track system is a motion capture system which integrates the Xbox Connect and four IMUs worn on both wrists and both ankles. So Human Track has been initially validated against the gold standard in ViCon with some really positive initial results. With some more to come, which will be openly available via the Valve Performance website when they do become available. So if you, like I said, if you are interested in getting to know about any of them three products, visit valdperformance.com or follow them on Twitter at valperformance. Also sponsoring this episode today is Force Dex. So big thanks to Force Dex for their continued support of the podcast. And if you are looking for a force plate hardware and software solution, visit forstex.com. But also have a little look at episode 139 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So that's at strengthofscience.com forward slash 139, where co-owner of 4 Dr. Daniel Cohen, goes into a lot of detail with regards to all aspects of jump monitoring. Um, It's certainly not a sales pitch for 4 But you can get a real understanding of the capability and ease of use of uh, Forstex with regards to the the software. So, if you are interested, Forstex.com is their website and follow them on Twitter at Forstex. So, without further ado, over to the episode with Ben Williams. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. So this evening, I'm delighted to uh, to welcome Ben Williams, who is Head of Human Performance at Enios Team UK, who are the British America's Cup challenger. So welcome to the podcast, Ben. Thanks, mate. Good to have you. Thank you for uh, thank you for giving yeah. up your evening. Happy to be here. Very excited. Good. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. So anyone that doesn't know who you are, just want to give us a bit of a, a background yourself. Um education-wise, what you've done in the past, and how you found yourself uh, doing what you're doing.
1: Um, okay, well, I guess I've been in sport for about 13 years now. Um, uh, not all of that elite sport, of course. Um, I, I left the British Army in 2005, and from there I moved into working uh, in, a, in a gym, uh, that was my first civilian job post-military career. Um, I was lucky enough that that had a junior tennis academy. Um, so my interest in... I mean, I was always, I've was i always been interested in sport anyway. I've always played sport, competed in different uh, avenues of it. And um, obviously, you're quite heavily involved in sport and fitness um, in the military. But uh, when I left, I started working for... Um, for a gym that had a tennis academy Um, and that was kind of working with junior um, junior athletes kind of under 12 um, which was quite fun Uh, and then I moved on to um, local women's football worked in triathlon judo uh, and then eventually into into sailing in different realms which are which I'm still in now um, with uh, form uh, with motorsport um, as a as a break into my first full-time role um, so I guess I got here from um, undertaking personal uh, I, I didn't come through the undergraduate route but um, Unfortunately, something I, I do regret. Um, I'm currently doing my master's at Portsmouth University, which I'm really excited about. Um, and it's it's been a long time coming, but I've had to kind of muscle my way into elite sport from a different pathway. Um, I know that plenty of people have got their different opinions about that. Um, <laughs> however, I'm here. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> and um, it, you know, it's been a really good journey. I, I've enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. Uh, I've worked in loads of different populations, male, female, youth, senior. Um, I've worked with some really good practitioners. Um, I've immersed myself in some great organizations and with some individuals. Um, and I, I'm still doing that now, hopefully, I think. <laughs> um, so still continuing to learn and and really enjoying it. Um I think from working with local athletes or regional athletes um, and and uh, in youth, I think my big break was moving into motorsport with a, uh, a driver called Dean Stoneman who was racing in Formula Renault when he, he sought some um, physical preparation. Uh, and then I went on to work full-time with him when he won Formula 2 championship podium in GP3 and GP2. Um, and then went on to Renault 3.5 and Indy Lights, and, to it, and even won the Freedom 100. So I kind of, I guess that was my my big break into sport and exposure. Um, and through his journey, he ended up becoming a Red Bull driver, which then gave me, um, again, uh, immersion and access to great practitioners um, like Pete McKnight. Was one of my points of contact through that. Who you know was a wealth of knowledge and put me on some really good monitoring um, tools and um, exposed me to some uh, some great bits and pieces that I still use now. So uh, I think that was my big break. Um, and I'm going to say big break. It was my first full time role. Um, and then off the back of that, I kind of ended up doing quite a bit on the south coast with some with some athletes, um, which led to a role with Abu Dhabi Ocean Racing, um, and that was as a as a SNC coach for a guy called Pete Cunningham, who was a sports science lead for them. He couldn't deliver all of the all of the hands on work, so I went in and picked up some of that. And again, working with him, that was really good. Um, I learned. He's an exercise physiologist who I learned an awful lot from, especially about the way I practice and my clinical reasoning. Um, and then he went on to do the job um, that I do now for an America's Cup team called Artemis. And uh, I think he was one of the catalysts for me being recommended for the job or to apply for the job that I have now.
0: So who? which country was Artemis?
1: Artemis was Sweden. Sweden, okay.
0: Were they a bit, are they are they regulars in the Americas Cup? Uh,
1: they have been. They have okay. been for the last two or three cup cycles. Uh, three, mm. I think. Um, then they're, they're not involved in the current cup cycle. Um, I think they're taking a bit of a break. Um, yeah, it was it was great working with Pete, and um, you know, I I still owe him a couple of beers. I think for for the recommendation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so let's let's
1: talk about let's
0: talk about the Americas Cup while we're here. Because yep. so when we spoke, I knew absolutely zero and still know absolutely zero. So to go over it again would be good for good for me and I think good for everyone that's listening because I don't think many people probably have heard of it, maybe watched it, but don't know the ins and outs of how it's structured and how it changes and all that kind of stuff. So give us a bit of a, a lesson on the America's Cup.
1: Um so the America's Cup is a really interesting sport. I'm sure most people have um know of the of uh, the Olympic um arm of sailing and probably many people have heard of our um, our team principal Sir Ben Ainsley um, so it's sailing but kind of not as we know it you know it's not dinghies the America's Cup is actually <laughs> the oldest <laughs> uh, it's actually the oldest trophy in international sport um, it was first competed for in 1851 and um, between Britain and America, and America won it. Um, Hence it being called America's Cup. They renamed it. Um, Since then, Britain have never won it, and it's something that we tried many times. And in 2013, um, Ben started uh, the team following his successful um, win of the America's Cup with uh, Oracle Team USA. So off the back of that, he started his own British team uh, and I joined them in September 2014 um, as they started to develop um, and challenge for the, the last America's Cup, the 35th. So it's, uh, like I say, the oldest trophy in international sport. Um, it's a bit like Formula One on the water in the respect that um, it's not a one design. There is a rule in which you have to design your boat within. Um it's very much a design arms race that it, people, you know. There's a saying in the America's Cup, which is the fastest boat always wins. Um, it sounds obvious, <laughs> um, <laughs> but inevitably that that is driven by the design and then the development of of the vessel. Um, the current America's Cup looks, you know, when they first competed in 1851 on some kind of wooden schooners. It looks quite different now. You know we're we're now in foiling um, vessels. Which kind what's of that? What's that mean, Ben? What's foiling, vessels foiling mean? Foiling is so hydrofoiling is a bit like um, so if you can imagine the displacement of the water slows you down. So as a boat moves through water, um, the water's actually drag slowing you down. Mm-hmm. So the hydrofoils allow the boat to rise out of the water and fly, reducing drag. So the current boats go about. Um, anywhere between kind of 50 and 60 miles an hour um, so you know we're I guess borderline extreme sports if you can imagine people flying down hills on mountain bikes and things like that um, you know we're we're out on the water traveling at very high speed we're not strapped in we don't have a cockpit where the guys are safe um, or or kind of seat belted in they have to be able to move around the vessel to move different appendages um, it without seeing it it'd be it's quite hard to uh conceptualize i think um it kind of it looks like something you've probably not seen before so the sail isn't really a sail it looks like a boeing 747 wing and we call <laughs> it a wing um the platform itself in the last america's cup was a catamaran two hulls with a trampoline in the middle and then this whole thing rises out the water by about 1.5 meters and then just takes off at about three times the wind speed. So, you know, super fast, high performance um, machinery. Um, and like F1, we have the geey bit in the middle, which is the athlete. Um, all the appendages of the boat are quite interesting because um, everything moves, it's under super high load, um, and everything moves via hydraulics, um, and those hydraulic appendages um are driven not by a machine if you imagine a jcb is a hydraulic machine and all of it's moved by a big engine we are also a hydraulic machine but we're driven by human power so the guys or the grinders that you see on the boat they're turning a turbine which in turn is pushing hydraulic fluid through a system and moving our high load appendages um, and then all of those guys have got a second job, so not only are they uh, um, you know, putting in huge efforts in terms of power production with their arms um, or legs, uh, as the uh, New Zealand team did in the last America's Cup, um, but they're also doing a second job, so they might be controlling the wing or they might be trimming the boards. The boards are the hydrofalls that um, allow us to, to rise out of the water uh, somebody else might be a tactician and looking at lots of different numbers and sequences um, on a on an iPad in front of him so we can see what's going on. Um, another guy might be you know, driving the boat like Ben. So there's quite a lot going on. Um, there's a lot of stimulus in terms of cognitive and physical. Um, so it's a really interesting sport. And then once it's all done and somebody's won, um, they get to take their toy set and then redistribute it how they want it. So it'd be a bit like, um, I don't know, England winning the World Cup. World Cup's topic at the moment. And then saying, okay, guys, we're going to play again in four years, but we're going to play on a -a five-a-side pitch with hockey goals. (laughs) And you have to have one under-23 guy and you have to have one female. And we're also going to play with a golf ball. (laughs) So, um, yeah, whoever wins the America's Cup they own it. They go straight through to the final of the next America's Cup and everybody else challenges for the right to compete against them in the final. And with, a, with the challenges, they develop the rule and then it's up to the teams to interpret that rule and develop their boat as best they can within that rule.
0: So many questions off the back of that.
1: Yeah. It sounds quite vague, doesn't it? (laughs) I've listened to so many of your podcasts and, you know, I love listening about field sports or, you know, fight sports where, you know, well, I hit him and he hits me and, or... We score goals and they score goals, and I understand all that. And I, I, tried to figure out how best I was going to explain America's Cup sailing, and <laughs> I decided that rambling for ten minutes was probably the best way. <laughs> no, I, didn't mean it, I didn't mean it in a bad way. I just meant it's, it's so interesting. There's just so
0: much. There's so much there to uh, to ask you about, um, and you've got an evening as well to uh, to get on with. So, f- first, first around, around the around the boat itself. What involvement do you have in that in the creation of that for the rules that have been set by the previous winner? Because obviously that that means the boat changes every time because there's different demands, diff- different rules. Yeah. What what involvement do you
1: have on that side? One of the quite one of the nice things about America's Cup sailing in terms of human performance is the fact that the rules do change. So um, I'm by no means a naval architect um, or an in, you know uh, uh, a systems engineer. But we do understand the human performance nature of our guys. So if you can imagine these high-performance vessels can take all the power that a human can give. You know, if you could give it ultimate kilojoules or watts, it would take them. Um, and they could design the fastest, you know, um, most advanced vessel they could. The reality of it is they have to come to us and say, what do you think is realistic? You know, how many jewels or watts can these guys produce and then they have to decide how to distribute that amongst the appendages. Um, and that's quite that's quite nice because we do get involved. Um, we do play a minor part in the design of the boat because we have to, you know, we have to develop our guys, we have to four years before we even compete, we have to have an idea of um, what we think our end product is going to look like in terms of, of our athleticism. And what can be delivered to the boat Um, and then the guys have to go away and design around that prediction Um, so our needs analysis has to be um it's kind of like a, a circle the rule comes out our guys interpret the rule and start designing a boat they then come to us and say hey you know what does that what does it look like in terms of power you know you've got 11 guys what what can these 11 guys deliver and then they have to go back and then Work with that power to develop um, a real concept of something that's realistic. Um, so it's quite nice that not only do we get, do we drive the human performance um, as part of um, as part of what we do here, but we also get involved in other a- other aspects of the team, um, which is is quite fun, and you get to meet some really smart people, and in turn they get to question what we do and why we do it um, and sometimes having a set of eyes that aren't involved in human performance looking at what we do is really powerful.
0: Mm-hmm. So talk to us about the process and this this probably comes on to the recruitment side of things as well but the needs analysis that you go through when then rules come out everything's changed because last year's team may not fit this year's rules so yeah. the Talk us through that needs analysis. What what's the process that you go through when you when them rules are communicated um, to you? Actually, putting things in place for them next three and a half years or four years or whatever the 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 stint is.
1: So that's something we're actually doing at the moment. You know, we've we've got a rule, and our guys have interpreted that rule, and and we have concepts in play. Um, Now, what we're looking at is what that rule entails. We know in the thirty fifth America's Cup, the last one, that. Um, there was stored energy so we could we could top up accumulators of stored hydraulic power um, which meant some of the guys on our vessel were kind of a battery if you will you know they were just continuously putting power into the handles which was topping up a, a power reserve um, early indications for from the current rule is that um, that process is going to be limited so we know that potentially, Direct input in terms of high power loads is going to be more. So, um, we're not 100% sure, but um, some of our needs analysis currently is looking at moving away from that endurance ability to uh, repeated sprint ability in this cup cycle. So, um, straight away, we're looking at a completely different athlete. Uh, there's still a weight restriction. There's a bit more weight to play with in this cup. We had 87.5 kilos average in the last cup. And, um, and we, we've got 90 kilos in this, which again has its problems. You know, we are a sport that requires quite a lot of power, um, but we're also a weight-restricted sport, uh, and we know those two things aren't always, you know, super compatible. Um, so it, in those terms, in the fact that it changes quite often and the needs of the boat change and what you have to play with in terms of um, the way that the rules written means that, Sometimes your needs analysis isn't driven by the athlete, it's driven by the boat, and that's that, or it's not even driven by sorry, it's not driven by the athlete or the game or the race, it's driven by your actual interpretation of the rule, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, for that reason, it, it's a super interesting sport to work in because you know, every four years we get to either throw away the rule book and start again or use some of it and do some extra research or um, look into completely new methodology if required um, and that, yeah like i said that's something we're doing at the moment so can you communicate probably a little bit, a little bit vague because no, no that's fine the stuff we're doing we we don't quite know yet
0: yeah okay no that's fine so can you communicate yeah. what the rules mean and look like in what you're bothered about so like you said, I don't know if you were joking, but it has to be one female. Has to be obviously you've mentioned a weight. Is there any that is kind of layman's terms kind of rules that we can understand?
1: Yeah, yeah. We know the rule at the moment is there's going to be 13 guys on a boat, um, and when I say guys, it's not a it, it can be male or female. There's just 13 people on uh, on the boat. And what was the last um, time? Uh, um, last time it was six.
0: Oh geez. Right, okay.
1: So, oh, sorry, maximum of thirteen. So I, um, I think they're they're still negotiating. It's going to be between eleven and thirteen. We're not one hundred percent sure yet. Yeah. Um, and out of those, we know that one of them is going to be helmsman. We know that somebody else is going to trim the wing or the mainsail. Um, and then you'll have people doing multi roles. So the rest of the guys are going to have to produce power in some way. We know that the rule is written as such that power needs to be. Produced through the hands, um, so which brings grinding back into play. We know that the the Kiwis used pedal power in the last campaign, um, which was a, a you know a big powerful step up for them. They they could produce a lot more power, which meant they could design a a more power hungry boat that was more aggressive. Um, those. Those things seems to be taken out, so we know we're going to produce some power through the hands. Uh, we know it's going to be a monohull rather than a catamaran, so potentially the the movement around the boat will be a little bit less, so um, maybe less agility driven for our guys, um, potentially a little bit bigger, more powerful, more repeated sprint rather than endurance. Um, so there's some of the things we're playing around with at the moment.
0: So if, if, a, if a practitioner like yourself was going to move from rugby to hockey or hockey to diving maybe a bit bigger difference there but you'd have to you'd, you'd go through a process of research and research into what is needed for that then demands in terms of your in terms of that side of things are you on your own do you have some help how do you manage that research of what is required for the rules that you've been given
1: um so if i start with what we did in the last campaign um we can talk about that a little bit more uh so what we did in the last campaign uh, my assistant coach um alex hobson who is now the lead strength conditioning coach for the rya um he put what's together arm? sorry
0: mate
1: what's rya uh, rya is the olympic arm of the um of olympic it's the olympic sailing for great britain basically okay, cool, cool. um So he is uh, essentially an EIS lead for Mm -hmm. sailing for the Olympic categories. Um, He was with us in the last campaign, and he put together a really good schedule of work in terms of we looked at certain different things. So we looked at mechanisms of performance, so trying to understand our boat, um, how we could develop power for that boat, Um, What the athletes needed to look like, what sort of strength qualities, what sort of intermittent power qualities, what sort of sustained power qualities those athletes needed. Um, And then from that research, we kind of developed our own rationale between the way that we tested people, retested, what our programming looked like, Um, you know, uh, basically drove our... um, our overview and how we put it together and what we, how we set ourselves up. Um, And that's exactly what we're doing at the moment. You know, we've, um, it's myself and, um, and uh, a guy called Craig Williamson currently, who's helping um, deliver some of our research. So we're looking into um, some of the areas in in which we think are important now for the next America's Cup. And we're looking into things like intermittent power, how you test it how you program for it um, how you develop it what sort of strength qualities you need to develop around that for the upper body uh, what research is out there to support those things Um, the other thing we do which we're really proud of um, is we use our internship program quite heavily Um, so in the last campaign i think we had nine interns total and rather than an intern coming in and kind of doing a lot of observation and going through an internship skill acquisition program, not only did they do that, but we also said, we want you to come on board and we're going to give you a project. And as part of that project, um, we've got some areas in which we want you to look at, but we want you to drive it. We want you to ask the questions and then we want you to answer them. Um, and then as part of that, we will then integrate that into our human performance plan. And, uh, we had some really good work in the last campaign in terms of grinding efficiency, mechanisms of performance, um, musculoskeletal screening from a physio intern. Um, so, yeah, something we're really proud of. We, we had an internship program where people delivered um, tangible work that we integrated into our program. So when they left our organization, they could say not only did we go to um, – we, we, our, our team name in the last campaign was Land Rover BAR not only did we go to Land Rover BAR for an internship but I also delivered a piece of work that is integrated into their human performance strategy now um, and that's quite nice because Craig Williamson in the last campaign was one of our interns and now he's come back as a consultant to do the same project all over again
0: Nice, so how long is that period of research the start of the campaign or does that, did that come all the way through?
1: Um well, it's, it's hard to quantify exactly because mm-hmm. if you can imagine um, I stayed with the team after the last America's Cup and um, we had a period where we had athletes, but we didn't know... What type of athletes they needed to be, um, we didn't know whether they we didn't know whether they were going to be the same as last time or different. Now we know they need to be a bit different, so we kind of went into like a, I guess, a bit of an off-season period where we maintained certain qualities that we knew were going to be important, like um, structural integrity, shoulder health, general health, well-being, um, aerobic fitness, and then we kind of kept that ticking over while we were going, okay what do we need these guys to be? <laughs> you know, it's not like we go, well, we're going to carry on playing football again in six weeks' time after the summer. We had no idea what some of the guys who we continue to hire as part of our structure needed to look like in another two years' time. So only now are we starting to understand a year later what those guys need to look like. And only now are we starting to integrate that into their human performance plan. So, um, you know, it's quite interesting. You know, these guys are... Um, they've been really patient and, you know, they're, they're chomping at the bit to understand what they need to do to maximize the boat. But at the same time, you're like, well, I, I, I don't know that yet because the rule hasn't even been released yet. <laughs> so, um, it, yeah, for, for that reason, it, it, again, it's super interesting. You know, they've got these guys who really want to develop and you don't actually know where to make your biggest gains in their development or in which direction to push them in until you have a concept of your vessel and what the power requirements are going to look like. Um, So I guess we started doing some sort of research straight after the cup, um, but that was based on sifting through our old evidence. So what did our, what did our last um, America's cup human performance plan deliver you know, what was our availability like? Where was our main injuries? What did our epidemiology look like? Um, what did we do good? What did we do bad? We then opened that up to some other organizations, um, some other high high performance organizations. And we invited those in and said, look, here's everything we did. Please tell us how you think we did and what we could do better. So that was the th- first thing we did. We looked at what we did in the last campaign and we got other people to look at it and be brutally honest with us and sift through the ashes of our failures and successes and say where can we develop more um we learned a lot from that process uh, and we had some great people help us with that um and then once we understood what we did good in the last campaign and what we did bad we could then start to steer our new strategy um And we did a little bit of research around some of those things. Like, as an example of that, without moving into the boat, in the last one we used um, subjective wellness in the morning, and we used resting heart rate as a measure, um, as a minor measure of recovery, um, as part of that that morning questionnaire. And we're still going to use that morning questionnaire in this campaign because we thought it was um, successful. But we're going to move the morning heart rate to heart rate variability. Because we think that's a more powerful number um so in that respect we started our human performance research straight after the last cup um, but our direct intervention of how we develop our athletes so they can develop the boat in the most efficient manner has has been very recent
0: so we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with ben um, so in part two we discuss more on the kind of nuts and bolts of ben's program and a bit of a, uh, an introduction into what it's like to work with Sir Ben Ainsley, who's obviously one of the um, one of the most successful British Olympians of all time. So get really good to get an insight into what it's like to work under Ben, uh, and what Ben has learned from Ben. Uh, so a really interesting little little part there. But just before we do get into this uh, into the part two. I just want to say a big thanks to Fatigue Science for sponsoring this episode today. So Fatigue Science are a company which specialises in tracking sleep. So if you haven't listened to episode 174, I would encourage you to have a little listen and that episode I speak to Ian Dunican. So Ian talks about uh, a little bit about Fatigue Science but more about the the back end and the biomathematical modelling which is... Um, in the back end of Fatigue Science's ready band. So I'm not going to butcher it and try to discuss uh, the kind of things in the detail that Ian did, but if you are interested in knowing more about um, sleep tracking uh, and Fatigue Science, uh, have a little listen to episode 174. But if you are interested in getting to know more about the company itself, Fatigue Science, you can head over to their website uh, fatiguescience.com or follow them on Twitter at Fatigue Science. So over to part two with Ben, hope you enjoy. So let's let's just have a little chat about the kind of day-to-day happenings in the team. So once you're in the flow, and I keep coming back to, um, obviously things change throughout the, from what happened last year to what happened this year, but in terms of the kind of hands-on gym work, fitness work, whatever you're hands-on with the with the team what's it look like what's the what's the week look like are you like there's things change, obviously based a lot on weather so things are going to change whether you're planning a session in the morning then it, things change and you have to do it in the afternoon and et cetera et cetera but what what does a, a normal week look like for you guys and then we'll kind of drill drill down a little bit further
1: yeah so I guess I guess like any um performance strategy we have you know we have an annual plan of what we're trying to develop with our guys. Um, We can work back from different competitions that, you know, we're away next week in our first competition, which isn't an America's Cup competition, but it is a sailing regatta, which is in a foiling vessel. So it's relative to what we're doing and how we develop our guys. So we've been working back from that. So, um, and there's other areas in which some of our athletes are working on. Um, So we have a, we have an annual plan like everybody else. Um, I guess, unlike many sports, we don't, necessarily have a day-to-day um ownership of what that day looks like because we're very weather dependent um you know if a good weather window comes through and we're on a a really big power development block and they say we're going to sail every day for 10 days then that's what they're going to do they're going to go and develop the boat and sail every day for 10 days so we have to be very um adaptable in terms of well how do we um how do we support this athlete best knowing that he's potentially gone from a period of not much sailing to a super high load of sailing. um, And that week was supposed to look very different. You know, it could be, it could be next week they're on a recovery week and actually there's a really good weather window. We need to develop the boat and they're going to sail eight hours a day for seven days. So, (laughs) um, (laughs) so, you know, it's, it's super rewarding and equally as frustrating because you can, you can have the best plan that a human performance strategist has ever had. And I'm sure mine isn't, (laughs) you know, there's much better practitioners out there than myself, but you know, you can have a plan that you're really happy with. And, you know, all of your applied research has gone into, you know, you've got a rationale behind everything. You've got um, supporting evidence to suggest why you should do something. um, And then, the coach comes in and says, what's your plan next week? Well, I've got this for these guys. These guys are on this. Okay, was well, a really good weather window. We're going to sail every day. Okay? All right. Well, what I now need to do is I need to prepare the athletes for that. They've just done a really hard <laughs> anaerobic block, and um, they're pretty tired. So I need to recover them as best I can over the next day and a half. We then need to come up with a strategy in terms of performance fueling and we need to come up with a strategy in terms of recovery um that is going to support that massive block of saline that they're going to get next week. Uh, we need to look at how we rotate the guys, you know, all of those things come into play. And it's almost like um it's like shotgun human performancing. <laughs> it's like somebody's going, human performance now, immediately. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so to that end, it becomes quite a difficult sport to work in because you do have these kind of fastballs thrown at you where you have to react quite quickly. Um, and sometimes you get it right and, and sometimes you get it wrong. But um, I kind of I kind of have the mantra that that is this sport and we can't push back against it too much. The reality of it is that one of the things we got wrong and when we did sift through our fairies in the last campaign, we we've heavily looked at what it took for an athlete to win the america's cup what did a race look like what did the actual america's cup like, look like it looked three races a day over eight weeks a race was 40 minutes this is the average power this was the sustained. this was the intermittent power they had to produce and what we failed to look at early on was what does a training day look like because when we're training we're not our primary focus isn't develop isn't to develop an individual's ability to turn handles Um, for instance if you go out on a on a cycling training ride in professional cycling there'll be a plan for that day in terms of aerobic development i'm sure that there is some sort of reconnaissance on routes and things like that but there'll be a plan for your day it's a recovery day it's a it's a Uh, a climbing effort day um you know i don't work in professional cycling but there'll be a plan for that day our plan will be around what are we developing on the boat what part of the boat are we looking at that day are we looking at the wing are we looking at the appendages are we looking at what different wind angles do to something so our guys are out there on the boat and that boat is having its own test plan so if you imagine rather than The day being dictated by what does the athlete's plan look like? It's what does the vessel's plan look like. So, for the athlete, that that might look like an eight hour flog. You know, it could literally be you're going to be out on the water for eight hours, producing as much power as you can, and you might get to rest every 20 minutes. So, we've then got to come up with a strategy of okay, how do we support that? How often do they need to eat? What does their fuel look like? How often are they are going to drink? <laughs> how often are they are going to stop? When do they need to rotate? What does the next day look like? What, how long do we have to turn these guys around? Um, so, yeah, we, we didn't look in the last campaign at how do we develop an athlete that can develop a boat for lot, very long training days. So we've started our research in this campaign of how do we support an athlete that is developing a vessel. Um, and again, that's an interesting concept. I think.
0: Mm-hmm. So you have, so you're you you are supporting the whole process. Are, are, so you're in the gym. Are you out on the? Are you out on the water with the guys and girls?
1: Yes, yeah, so what they're quite long days. Yeah. Um, I, we do go out on the water with the guys, and we can see uh, different bits and pieces. You know, we can see heart rate and power being produced at the crank handles um and obviously you know we can monitor their hydration and, and things like that so we're out there for to to support the guys um we're in the gym with them in the morning uh, there's myself there's an assistant coach we've got two consultant physios consultant nutritionist and generally a couple of interns um as part of the team so our day starts about seven we're in the gym Depending on the block, what we're doing, um, the guys will go through their go through their plan. We we are they start with work ons, um, and they'll have an individualised um, work on plan depending on on their own current needs. Um, that's generally driven by our, our musculoskeletal screening or from our physios. Um, they'll then go into their normal workload, whatever that looks like for their block. Um, then they're into into like breakfast and the other interesting part about our guys is they all have a second role so um a couple of our guys are software engineers um another one's an electrical engine mechanical engineer a couple of them a couple of them are um uh they've done yacht science manufacturing degrees so when they leave the gym they're then into Okay, how do we develop the boat? How do I develop the wing? What am I doing with the systems? You know, we've got guys who will work really closely as a liaison with the systems engineer guys and how they develop that. So they don't get to finish their gym session and have a two-hour downtime where they rest and recover. They're straight into like a working day. Um, Then we'll have a sailing plan. We'll go out on the water. Um, anywhere between i guess two and six hours um, with the occasional eight hour one thrown in there just for good measure to really challenge things um uh we have an on-water support structure for that so not only does the boat have an on-water support structure but we have an on-water support structure um so either me or some of the other guys will go out uh, we have a plan for that what does their fueling look like um what does their warm-up look like what does their recovery look like when they get off the water um then the guys who haven't done as much sailing will do an afternoon session we know that we are subject to quite heavy loads that come at you very quickly from nowhere so we to that end we try and keep the whole squad's load quite high because um, we don't want these really big spikes going on um so if we, if we have a couple of guys that haven't done as much load on the water we might say okay you're going to do afternoon session this is what it's going to look like um and keep your keep your grinding load nice and high um or it could be a recovery session for some of the guys who've done a little bit and been rotated out um And then we'll have a look at what does their therapy look like in the evening. Do we need to do some hands-on work? Do we need to do? I don't know. Are we doing ice baths? Are we doing? um, Do we need to get guy in see the physio for a niggle? Do we have to? We're quite. We're quite. uh, We 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 do push hands-on therapy quite a lot. um, Whether it's just. Soft tissue work or, um, you know, mobility, you know, we get the guys in the gym or on the bench as much as we can, we try and look after them and nice holistic approach, you know, can they move well? Um, do they have good muscle conditioning? Um, and then try and get them away as early as we can. They are quite long days in the America's Cup. You know, it's not it's not abnormal to do 7 a.m. start, 7, a.m., 7 p.m. finish. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Supporting the guys through those long days with quite high physical activity is quite a challenge. You know, we, the guys could be doing anywhere between twenty and thirty-five hours of, of physical work a week. If we if we get a big sailing block, Jeez.
0: I'm just writing something down there. Sorry. Right. Um, so one thing I want to have a little chat about it's something that we we spoke about beforehand briefly, and that's the commercial demands obviously you're a a commercial team who needs to spend as little money as possible and make as much money as possible obviously that's standard for even football clubs and things but I think you're probably more involved in that side than the general head of uh, performance in a rugby club just explain your involvement in that and your views around the commercial aspect of of the athlete which i think is it'd be nice to actually hear from from you on
1: yeah i think um the the commercial side of things really interests me because um as a team that you know rely on sponsorship um we do have a very big commercial obligation um now you know uh, i've got some friends in the industry who you know, we'll comment on camera crews crawling all over their gymnasium and saying, oh, you know, the guys are in again and it disturbs a session or, you know, and I get those things. I really do. But as a commercial team, actually, we need to embrace it. Uh, and that's just my point of view. Um, as a brand, um, we need to be cautious of our brand and we need to be protective of it. And I think the more that I've learn and understand um about brand awareness um, the more i appreciate it and i think that um, being commercially aware is something that all practitioners in a in a commercial sport are going to have to do eventually um, and i think the sooner that you embrace it the better um, so for me i use it as a as a, a buying mechanism or a, a buying is a term that I guess it's quite a popular moment or, you know, not only are the team a brand in terms of our, you know, we're a commercial team, but the athletes are a brand as well. Um, And we can see that with global stars like Ronaldo or um, Conor McGregor, you know, they are not only do they um, compete in a sport, but as an individual, they are a brand. Um, And those things become very important. And we have that here. Um, I think it's important that we tell the story of what we do um, and physical performance is um, interesting you know if you look at um, if you look at pieces that go out on social media or in the papers or all these sort of things then um, what people do is interesting so when you want a, a snapshot of an athlete's life their physical preparation is interesting. So it becomes a narrative as part of our um, social media narrative um, and as part of our brand narrative. And I think we need to embrace that. And the way that we do that in in um, in our department here is, you know, we try and tell the story of what we do. We try and be open about it. We don't have many secrets. Um, you know, I think that if you did enough applied research, everybody would find out what we know about America's Cup sailing. And if you spent en- enough time in the sport, you would know what we know. So it's not it's not a huge secret in terms of human performance. And we want people to be able to explore what we do and be interested in it. And the more people are interested in it, the bigger our brand grows and the more valuable it becomes. And the more valuable it becomes, the more valuable it is to me because, I don't know, my budget goes up or um, I get more VIK or – You know, there are benefits associated with brand awareness. Um, The other side of that, which is interesting, is an athlete is a brand in itself. Take, for example, um, you know, our team principal is Sir Ben Ainsley, but he's not the only person with an Olympic gold medal in our team. You know, we've got multiple people who are their own brand in themselves, even though they compete for this team. They've got their own social media following and their own sponsorships. So we have to be protective of that as well, as in, I want to I want to support this athlete. I want to make sure he's fueled, hydrated. I want to make sure that he has the best physical preparation he can do. I want to make sure we have the right rationale for his physical training plan, that we've got the right physios and that his um, – structural integrity is right and he's got the right strength to develop the power that he needs to do for the boat so we have all of those things and all practitioners work to support those their athletes in the best way they can and i think this is just another arm that we really need to look at these guys are a brand if they need to put that brand out as part of who they are as an athlete we need to support that and if that means telling a narrative around what they do we need to be there to help them do that because it's interesting it's a human interest piece
0: so are you are you telling it to them as in we can boost your profile by helping us boost ours
1: no I, I don't think I don't think it's that intrinsic okay. it's just a support mechanism yeah, okay. you know we're not I don't think we can, they are the brand, yeah. we're nothing to do yeah. with it. You know, we're we're in the background and that's that's where, when we started in this industry or when I started in this industry, that's where I knew I was going to be and that's where I'm happy to be. Um, but I do think commercialization and um, brand awareness is a big part of sport and I think the more we push back, push back against it, um, I, I just think we're missing a trick. I think that, The athletes and the teams we work for are brands and we should support those as much as we can. So, you know, if a camera crew coming, crawling all over our gym and doing a human, you know, a human interest story is what we need to do, then how do you want me to do it? What, you know, what does it need to look like? How much time do I have available? How do I manage it? Do I want it every week? No, of course I don't but if I can have two or three different institutions here at the same time doing the same thing and it not impacts upon our practice too much. So I guess in a way, we're periodizing our commercial obligations. So just just like we periodize everything else in what we do in our planning, I'm trying to periodize our commercial obligation. If you think about an athlete comes off a court or off the field or off the water for us and somebody puts a microphone in their face, that's taking up time in which we would potentially be starting our recovery protocol so i'm periodizing those things those obligations into what we do you know how do i do my recovery protocol with this guy but not impact upon his need to do an interview because it's really important to what he does Mm -hmm. um so i'm trying to integrate that Um, commercial aspect into our overview and how do we support the commercial arm of our team by making our athletes available making them aware that people are going to be around um, not making it a thing that yes sometimes you have a camera crew in the gym not trying to be a part of it so how do we fade into the background and let those athletes flourish and support them through their development in that area Um, because eventually it's their career you know we're supporting their career in a snapshot of what they're doing they might go to a different team but right now we're their support mechanism and if that involves other aspects away from human performance i think we need to at least try and facilitate those things by periodizing them into our plan Mm -hmm.
0: nice so one thing i want to ask you before we finish is ben ainsley the person what's it like to be with Working under a, or working with a someone of his kind of stature and notoriety, given what he's done in his career.
1: Um, well, it was quite it was quite daunting at the start. Yeah, but... um, I knew I knew when I. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. Some of it is. So, <laughs> sometimes, pacey, is better to be lucky than good. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, I was a little bit lucky with this role, you know, I'd worked under Pete Cunningham at Abu Dhabi Ocean Racing, um, I'd learned an awful lot from him, I had a recommendation from the guy who I worked with, Ian Walker, who is another Olympic uh, sailor who knew Ben, um, Pete went on to a different team and I got pushed in the way of this. Um, and they were talking to about five or six other people, and it kind of came down to final interviews. And I, and I, part of that was working with with Ben, um, and I was quite nervous. You know, uh, I knew that, you know, the most successful Olympic sailor of all time, and one of our most successful uh, Olympians with four golds and a silver. Um, some of the things they don't see. You know, he's I think he's won eleven world championships and. Four World Sailor of the Year awards as well, so you know. Is that it? Jesus. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, I had to work with Ben as part of the um, as part of the recruitment procedure, and as nervous as I was, um, and I, 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 you know, I genuinely didn't think I was going to going to get the role. I, I know that my um, educational background wasn't what they required, um, but in the end, it came down to to people and Ben enjoyed working with me the most. And I think he saw my passion and, you know, my interest in what they were doing. And he decided that, you know, I was the right guy and, um, you know, I'm, I'm still here on my second rotation with him. So, um, he's, he's a really good guy to work for. He's passionate. He's very focused, as you can imagine with everything he's won. Um, he understands that he, he needs people around him to tell him the right things. Um, and then, you know, if you attach him to a boat, he's pretty handy. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he doesn't, he's seen a lot of practitioners come and go in the last 25 years, um, but still super open to trying new things, um, being adaptable to, you know, new training regimes, um, different methodology. And even after the last campaign, you know, was sifting through what we did good and bad. You know, he was, again, super open to that and supportive of what we thought was good and equally supportive of the things we needed to change. Um, so um, I've learned a lot working with him, um, not only about my practice, but about my management style and, you know, how you can't be everything. You need to have people around you who can enable you um and that's been a really big learning curve for me you know i I came into this having yeah i I led a a, 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 an individual's human performance in motorsport but um you know i'd not led a team environment before um so yeah it's been a four-year vertical learning curve for me um and people like ben have been enablers in that because they're super supportive of what we do um you know they want us to get better because inevitably it makes it makes them better um and you know the way they go about that is their recruitment strategy was they wanted to work with good people and i i I was lucky enough to fall into that category um i was in the right place at the right time and you know i think i'm i'm getting okay But I started off lucky. (laughs) Um, But Ben's not the only person like in this organization. I think the structure they've got from our our CEO all the way down to, you know, the guys who work on the front desk. You know, we have a passion for what we're trying to achieve. We know that Great Britain has never won this trophy since 1851, and everybody wants to win it. And, uh, you know, we're a multidisciplinary organization. And I say that in the true sense of the word, as in, you know, we're – many many different factors that come together all the way down from naval architecture to um you know mechanical engineering human performance the sailors themselves um it's a it's an enjoyable um organization to work in it's very supportive uh, it's very fast moving and you need to be very adaptable in terms of things change very quickly um you know what the boat does one week might not be what the boat does the next week and that might completely change what you're trying to develop with your athletes and you know um the the people in this organization have have taught me more in the last four years than i think i've ever learned in the rest of my life in any in any organization or any job so um my development's been huge. Uh, it's enabled me to move on and have the confidence to uh, undertake my master's with Portsmouth Uni. Um, and, you know, long may it continue. I'm really enjoying the work here. I've got a great support team around me in my department, and um, I get a lot of support from um, the guys who I report to. So my, the sailing team managed John McBeth and, and Ben Ainsley. So... Um, yeah, we're, I guess the short answer is working for Ben is was daunting and now it's empowering.
0: Love it. Well, thank you very much for um, for, for giving me your time to have a chat. It's been fascinating to get to know something that I've not really had on the podcast before and certainly I've not come across many people or any people who've been involved, so heavily involved in sailing. So it's been great just to chat and learn about what you guys do but where can i know you mentioned beforehand before we started recording that you had 26 uh 26 <laughs> followers on Twitter so we'll try we'll try to get to 27 uh, <laughs> but where, where can people get in touch with you if they want to chat about you know what you're doing and uh what's coming up in the future is, is Twitter the best place is
1: yeah, yeah i mean spicy. if people want to get me i think i'm at bgw82 on twitter um and if people want to email me it's uh ben.williams at iniosteamuk.com. you know we're, there's no secrets here if people want to know about what we do feel free to get in touch if people are around and they want to pop down for a coffee and have a chat about gym, gym performance you know whatever it is they want to talk about then we're open to it you know I, i've not necessarily been good at Networking in this industry, and it's something that I'm trying to get better at. And, um, you know, our doors are open if people want to come and have a look. Come and have a look. Um, there might be some things we can't talk about, but in general, you know, we're, we're, we're fairly open in what we do. Um, and, you know, if anybody's listening, I, I apologize if it was quite a vague podcast. That I listen to all your podcasts and um they're super interesting i learn heaps from them and i i try to be (laughs) i came into this thinking i wonder how i can be uh, (laughs) i wonder how i can make it sound less vague but the reality of it is it's quite a vague sport we're still in the early stages of this campaign we don't fully understand what the athletes are going to look like um we're in a development phase and um and it, you know, some some of the questions were hard to answer in, a, in an absolute terms. So, sure. apologies for the. For no, the pain. no, 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 um, no. Don't, I, don't I think for I did you. ramble quite a lot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, don't worry about that, mate. It's um, it's interesting just just knowing about something that there's not apart from every four years of the Olympics and when the Americas Cup does come round. Apart from that, you don't hear much about it. So it's good to get someone on who's obviously in the thick of it. And like, I knew the Americas Cup, but like I'm sure a lot of people don't know the ins and outs of it. So just to know what your involvement is in a, you know, potential avenue for people to look out for opportunities and things like that is... is Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, And there will be an opportunity coming up later this year for for, uh, an internship, which, um, you know, we'll try and get spread around social media and stuff like that. But I guess what I would like people to know is, you know, there's a lot of periphery sports out there where there's some good work being done and some good job opportunities, and um, mm. um, you know I think there's there's more out there than people realise if you if you 100%. you know disperse into into these kind of exciting different periphery sports.
0: Yep, I'd absolutely agree. So yeah, I'll um, I'll say thank you very much, and I'll let you get on with your evening.
1: Thank and, you. Uh, thanks again. And, uh, thanks very much for having me on it was an absolute pleasure daunting uh, and I was a bit nervous i will probably <laughs> people will probably tell that but yeah thank you thank you for so much
0: no no worries mate thanks a lot cheers mate cheers thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance podcast I hope you enjoyed the chat with Ben so really interesting insight into a sport that I haven't um, had any experience in personally and any experience in actually chatting to people about so really appreciate Ben coming on and having a chat so, big thanks to Val Performance, Forstex, and Fatigue Science for sponsoring this episode today. Would love all feedback as usual. Uh, I got quite a bit of feedback, some really good feedback on the, um, on the Masterclass podcast, but that runs through uh, a constant theme throughout each and every episode. If you have some feedback, fire it my way good, bad, or indifferent. So, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I will speak to you next week.